Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Pick Aside Podcast. My name is Joel Moran and I'm here with Jack Bartek and this is now episode 58. It feels like these episodes are flying by at this point. We're almost at 60 and in this episode we're going to talk about the college football playoff national championship, the Sean Watson trade packages, Doug Peterson's firing, and then we're going to preview all of the matchups for the divisional round playoff games and give our prediction for the games as well. And to finish off the episode, as we do with every single football episode, pretty much we will end it off with NFL Pick'em Divisional Round Edition. So if you guys are listening right now, Riv is not here today. Uh, something personal came up. So it's only me and Jack. And wow, uh, before we start, I actually want to give a huge shout out to people who have been listening I just checked the stats. I think last month we we had over 200 podcast downloads. Wow. So that's not including YouTube or nothing like that. It's all podcast downloads. The fact that you guys can download our voices, audio only, 200 of you guys is, is pretty amazing. I feel grateful and blessed. And yeah, I just wanted to shout you guys out. So if you guys are listening right now. Thank you for listening and tuning in every single episode. We appreciate you and we hope to bring you even more great content. Yeah, it's pretty crazy seeing how this has grown, you know, just in the time that I've been here and seeing how as the numbers get higher, it feels like it just moves quicker and quicker. And the support has been incredible, whether it's, you know, people that we know. I know my friends and family are always talking to me about the episodes and stuff or people that we don't know. I get followers on Instagram every day and then I check and they follow me, you Riv and the pick aside page. Uh-huh. And I just think it's, it's so awesome. And you know, we couldn't do this without you guys. It takes a lot of work and a lot of effort, but I know I, I feel like I can speak for the both of us. You know, we put in that with no problem because we want to put out the best product and without you guys, it wouldn't be possible. Yeah. I checked the all time downloads for the podcast are 671. So in a month, I, I'm pretty sure we had 230. We basically hit our all-time mark. We basically hit one-third of our all-time mark in one month. That's it's crazy. Pretty, it's pretty surreal. Yeah. It's all, pretty surreal. Those numbers have been skyrocketing, it feels like, ever since we hit 1K, which is, you know, we had our sights set on that for so long, and we were waiting for it to come, and now it's yep. just like it keeps on growing. Yeah, so we appreciate you all, all of you guys for listening and tuning in. So now let's get on to the episode. Yesterday, the National College Football Championship happened. For me, it was very underwhelming because I, I felt like the game was bad. I mean, it was final score was 52 to 24. No defense was playing was being played. Devontae Smith had yeah. 200 yards receiving in the first half. He probably would have finished with 400 yards receiving if it wasn't for him um, injuring his finger. But, wow, I mean... I guess if you're an Alabama fan, you feel great. If you're an Ohio Ohio State fan, you feel bad. But you're a college football fan or even a football fan. Why even watch? In my opinion, it's just, I don't know. I I don't like games that aren't competitive for me. I watch college football more so to scout players and to know who's who than, oh, because these games are awesome and they're competitive. I, I love college football, and I think there is definitely a much bigger gap in college football than there is in the NFL, just because 
there's some teams that can't compete on the level of the top of the line schools. It's so tough, and you got to put so much money into it to have a program like a Clemson or an Alabama or an Ohio State. I don't believe in you know a lot of people who think that college football is ruined forever and it will just be these programs for the rest of the time. You look back a decade, Clemson was a laughingstock. The Dabo Sweeney hire was thought to be a total joke. You know, people don't un- didn't understand how he got the reins of the program after a terrible season, and then he took them and he did a great job recruiting and he made a great cr- a great program. So I don't think the college football is in terrible shape. I just think you're going through a dynastic run, which happens in any sport. But last night was disappointing, just because Alabama was on a different level. I don't think there was anybody in the country that could have stopped them, could have kept it closer, maybe on a fluke night, but Alabama was head and shoulders above everybody else in the country this year, and it showed. I mean, I guess one person we could talk about, or two, is Mac Jones. He threw for almost 500 yards. He had 464 yards passing, five touchdowns, and zero interceptions. He matched Joe Burrow's performance last year in the Natty pretty much and Najee Harris and Devontae Smith both having three touchdowns. Devontae Smith did that all in the first half. Yeah. So I guess my two questions are this. I'll let you answer it, then I'll answer it. Do you think Devontae Smith is a future star in the NFL? And I know it's way too early to tell, but what is your gut feeling on Devontae Smith? If if I had to say one or the other, I think he would be a Hall of Famer before he's a bust. Uh, he has all the tools, he's just not there physically yet. And that's something that will come. And you get him in an NFL program, an NFL weight plan, you know, trim, muscle training on a on an NFL diet, he, he will fill out. And I know he seems thin now, but you can take care of that. But what he has elsewhere, his route running, you know, his, his separation, he was making Sean Wade, the best cornerback in the country, look like, Nobody last night. He was going by him with ease. Sean Wade couldn't even get a hand on him in press coverage. It was embarrassing. And the fact that Ohio State didn't adjust their coverage is mind-blowing. But against the best cornerback in the country, one-on-one, he was putting him in a blender. His hands are next level. That one catch he made last night on the sideline, going out of bounds, that's insane. He made one catch against LSU earlier this year. I know you know what I'm talking about, the one-handed catch in the back of the end zone. It's incredible. So he has the skills, the technical skills in a wide receiver that a lot of guys going into the draft don't have. My biggest concern on him would be size, and I think that's something that you could fix in an NFL program. And you you listen to him speak. You hear stories about him. He just seems like a great guy, a hard worker, a guy that you would want to be a part of your franchise. I have high expectations for him. And you look back at the past for Alabama – one thing they do well is breed wide receivers. You know, I could I could go on and on with the list, but Julio Jones, Amari Cooper last year, Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs came from there. They had the number one wide receiver this year in Jalen Waddle. He went down, and then Smith steps up. So if there's one thing they do right, it's breed wide receivers. So I feel confident in saying he will be a great player at the next level. I think Devontae Smith will be great. I don't think the weight is so much a problem because – I think that's a concern a lot of people had for Justin Jefferson coming into the NFL. And he's still very skinny and scrawny. He doesn't look very muscular. As long as you can run good routes and you can get separation, I think you can make it in the NFL. Devontae Smith, like you mentioned, he's a humble superstar. It's very hard to do that when you are that good 
at something. And that's why people like, I think that's why we admire players or people in general that have so much success, but are so grounded at the same time. You look at Tom Brady, what, what more is there for him to accomplish? And he is the most grounded person ever. Like you will never hear him say something bad or him being cocky or whatever, or overconfident or arrogant. He's very down to earth. And what you said about Sean Wade, Sean Wade, he might have been the best cornerback in the country, but I think that status got revoked because he got cooked at Clemson versus Clemson, and he got cooked yesterday. Like, he got cooked bad. But, yeah, I think Justin Jefferson would be a star. He has elite route running. He's probably going to go top five if Miami isn't, you know, on the train of letting go of Tua. They'll probably draft him with a third overall pick. I, I yeah. think in the modern NFL, I believe that an elite wide receiver is more important than an elite offensive lineman in this point, you know. Especially when you're talking about a guy like Tua, who they have, you know, pseudo committed to a quarterback by saying he's going to be their starter next year. Whether you believe that or not, it remains to be seen. We have months to go until March in the draft. But if Tua is their guy next year, one thing you're going to want for him is wide receivers that can get open and create space because that's one of the things that he's been best at is making easy throws. That's what they tried to get him this past season, but they didn't necessarily have the best set of playmakers to do that. So adding a guy like Devonta Smith would be immediately an upgrade. Yeah, another player that obviously played a national championship was Mac Jones. He had, he had a great statistical day. I'm not that in love with Mac Jones as everybody else is because I think he throws a bunch of screens and RPOs. And for me, while that's nice in college and you can have a lot of success doing that in college, in the NFL, you have to be in the right system to be successful. And for me, if he goes to Chicago, that's probably a great fit. I think he'll get drafted between the 10th to 20th pick. You know, he could go to New England. I think that would be a good fit as well. He needs to be in an offense that's like a short passing offense. That's what I think his draft status is, like 10 to 15th, and that's what I think his ceiling is. I think he'll be a, he'll be a pretty good quarterback. But Justin Fields, did his performance yesterday make it so that he might – I mean, after Clemson, everybody was like, this guy is a consensus second overall pick. They were putting him above Zach Wilson. But I think his performance against Alabama made Zach Wilson get the nod over him. Yeah, and it's one thing I said after the Clemson game that I'll repeat again now. You should never base your opinion on a prospect on one game. And I said that about after the Clemson game, don't get too high on him. I'll say it now after this one, don't get too low on him. He was playing a great defense in Alabama. I mean, they, they are sending multiple guys to the first round from that defense. And on top of that, he was coming off that hit last week against Clemson. Who knows? He said he was at 95%. I don't necessarily believe that he would have been out there if you chopped both of his legs off. He was not missing that game. So I don't know how his health was. There's a lot of questions that go into it. I have not been that high on Justin Fields throughout the whole process. I just think that he's not a pro-ready quarterback. When you look at what Ohio State has done this year, he's been great throwing to his first read, but anywhere else his numbers drop drastically. They haven't played the toughest schedule. But I will say in his defense, he has arm strength. He showed it against Clemson. 
He's mobile. He can get out of the pocket. I don't think he's as athletic as everybody thinks he is, but he is definitely mobile. He can get out of the pocket and make plays. And I think four of the most important things about him are four of the most important traits in any quarterback. He's tough. He's a hard worker. He's a smart kid, and he's a good teammate by all accounts. And if you have that and you pair it with a good coach combined with his physicals, I do think he can make it at the next level. I'm not as high on him as a lot of people are. I would probably take Zach Wilson over him just because I think physically Zach Wilson is more ready for the NFL level. He makes more NFL throws from what I've seen. But I I don't think that Justin Fields is a guaranteed bust either. I think it depends where he lands. If If he lands in a good situation, I can definitely see him panning out to be a very good NFL quarterback. I mean, yeah, I, I kind of agree with what what you just said. I think Justin Fields has a lot to work on, but him and Zach Wilson, I think they are really neck and neck. Yeah. They they are really neck and neck. And it's going to be a tough decision for the Jets that are picking at two. Yeah. I, I, realistically, I think it's all about, I, I think both of those guys can be successful, but you have to put a good system around them. Josh Allen and Baker Mayfield compared to Sam Darnold, I feel like it's the perfect example in, in their draft class. Even Lamar Jackson. I don't think that Josh Allen and Baker Mayfield were head and shoulders talent-wise above Sam Darnold in that draft class. But when you look at what the Browns and the Bills have done for those two guys compared to what the Jets have done for Sam Darnold, it, you can't even compare. And so I think building a great supporting cast around whoever the starting quarterback will be next year is first and foremost. And as for Mac Jones, I'm not sold on him. I know he put up a great line last night. He played great in the semifinal game. I just don't think he's an NFL quarterback. When you look back at at the quarterbacks that have been drafted over the last decade, how many of them aren't mobile and are successful? Like if you're going to be a pocket passer, you have to be dead on accurate, making ridiculous throws, especially in the current NFL. Like, who out of the current NFL quarterbacks is successful that can't get out of the pocket and run? Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins, and even he was drafted a decade ago. Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Ben Roethlisberger. Jimmy G. Is, is that the bar you want for? I, no, I think saying, Mac I, Jones I think, can be a Jimmy G-type quarterback. Yeah, I don't think Mac Jones could, could be a star. But yeah, I don't think he's going to be I don't what think people think he I don't is. think he's not an NFL quarterback, though. I don't think he's going to be a Maybe star. Maybe that was a little harsh. Maybe but I don't think he's not harsh. an NFL quarterback. I don't think he's going to be what a lot of people think he is. His job at Alabama is so easy. I, I A lot of quarterbacks can do what he did last night. Devonta Smith was had 10 yards on either side of him on half of his receptions. Najee Harris had an incredible game. And he's got Nick Saban and Steve Sarkeesian drawing up an incredible game plan for him against an Ohio State defense that... There were sometimes I had no idea what they were doing. I, there was plays where, if you don't watch the QB school, I would recommend you go watch the QB school because he does some great breakdowns. Some of the plays that he showed, the Ohio State safeties were turning and running like it was a punt. It, it made no sense, and it made his job very easy. I'm not sold on him. I don't like the fact that he's not that mobile. And if you're going to be a pure pocket passer, I just would like to see more special throws out of him, and I didn't see that. So The last three national championship games have been blowouts. Just last year, LSU versus Clemson, it was a blowout. Two years ago, Clemson versus Alabama was a blowout. And this year, it was a blowout as well. 
Alabama beat Ohio State 52-24. to Clemson is one of those teams that have been in the national championship a couple times now. And a former Clemson quarterback, Deshaun Watson, won them a national championship against Alabama, I'm pretty sure. That was probably the best college football playoff game ever. Yeah, it was. And Deshaun Watson, there's a bunch of turmoil going on within the Houston Texans organization. The owner, McNair, hired Nick Cesario, a GM, to be the new GM of the team. And he had promised Deshaun Watson that he that Deshaun Watson would have an input on the GM and he'd help him decide on it. But it goes to show that that never happened. So Deshaun Watson is disgruntled with the organization. They didn't request to interview Eric Bieniemy until now. <laughs> Maybe some damage control there so Deshaun Watson doesn't choose to leave. But now we're seeing tweets coming out from Andre Johnson telling Deshaun Watson to get out of there. They're going to ruin your career. DeAndre Hopkins co-signing that same thing. And now, I mean... We could go into we could go into depth on the Deshaun Watson situation with the Texans or whatever it may be, but I think it's better if we just have a little fun with this situation going on right now and come up with a trade package for Deshaun Watson and what teams should trade for Deshaun Watson. So in your opinion, what is your best trade package for Deshaun Watson and what team do you think pulls the trigger or is most likely to pull the trigger? I'll say right now, I think that this is a lot bigger of a problem than people might think it is. Some people are trying to write it off. Jack Easterby has walked in and done nothing but bad for that organization, and Andre Johnson said it in his tweet. He is the demon inside that organization, and they have not gotten rid of him. They let him handpick the GM. The GM's not going to get rid of him because he handpicked him. So it's a bad situation. I don't see it getting better quickly it's going to take a lot of healing so realistically I could see one of these trades happening and if it was going to I think the Dolphins are the most realistic place I think the Jets could be in on it but it would take a lot of draft capital maybe a package surrounding Sam Darnold and a couple of firsts especially with those extra Seahawks picks I think they could get it done I think the 49ers should and could be in on it with you know a couple of the pieces that they have over there, and they could use a quarterback of anybody could use a quarterback of Deshaun Watson's capability. But I would say the Dolphins could put together the best package because they have a young quarterback in Tua Tagovailoa, who, you know, we we both have our opinions on him, but you've only seen him in nine games. The jury's still out. I feel like who knows what he can be. So you throw him in. I personally think it would take. Three first round picks. I would say their second pick, their 18th pick, maybe next year's first rounder, and then a, a day two or three pick. But I think that three first rounders, Tua, and a later round pick could get it done, especially if it comes down to Deshaun Watson saying he's just not going to take the field. For me, before I get into my trade package, I have the Dolphins as well as a team, the most likely destination. But I just want to put everybody's dreams and hopes of these fan bases to rest. The Colts cannot trade for Deshaun Watson. No. The Texans will never agree to that trade because they're in the same division. The Jaguars neither. That's not happening. That's just not happening. The Chicago Bears can't do it either. They don't they don't have any cap space. For me the three most realistic destinations are the New York Jets, 
the Dolphins, and the Jaguars because they have a bunch of first-round picks and they're picking high in the draft. That being said... (laughs) If you're going to get rid of Deshaun Watson, who is the best guy to replace them? Yeah. Trevor Lawrence. And, And that being said, I don't think the Jets pulled the trigger because... They haven't. They don't have enough players on that team to give up so many future assets for a guy. And plus, Deshaun Watson would have to agree to want to go play there. Maybe if Eric Bieniemy becomes the head coach of the Jets, Deshaun Watson is going to agree to it because he wants to be with Eric Bieniemy. And maybe the Jets pull the trigger. But I think the most realistic destination is Miami Dolphins, and this is the trade package. The Dolphins receive Deshaun Watson, and the Texans receive. Tua Tagovailoa, Nick Needham, a solid slot cornerback who they the Texans need cornerback help desperately, secondary help desperately. So you get a starter in Nick Needham. Then you get the 2021 first-round pick, the third overall pick this year, a 2021 second-round pick from Houston as well. So Houston gets their picks back from the Laramie Tuntle trade. They get a 2021 third-round pick and a 2022 first-round pick. So you now have... One one pick in the first round in this upcoming draft, one one pick in the second round, and two picks in the third round. And then for next year, you have a first-round pick as well. And I think this is the best-case scenario for both teams. The Dolphins are ready to compete right now. And Deshaun Watson, if he goes to the Dolphins, that takes them over the top, no doubt about it. They become a Super Bowl contender, I think so, or at least one of the teams that are going to be winning the division for a couple of seasons. And we've seen it like the Dolphins don't have the most offensive line talent, but look at what Deshaun Watson did in the Texans. Like yeah. he can turn nothing into something. Then for the Texans, you you save some of your money because you're in cap hell right now. They can't sign anybody. You start from scratch and you start rebuilding. Because even if they do keep Deshaun Watson, they won't be competitive for a couple of years because their cap space is so bad. And they don't have any picks this season. They need secondary. They need linebackers. They need defensive line. They lost DJ Reader to the Bengals. JJ Watts probably on his way out this offseason as well. They need an offensive line outside of Laramie Tunsil. They need a tight end. And they probably need a halfback too. They need so much positions that you kind of have to start a rebuild. And just keeping Deshaun Watson there is making him become a, a uh, modern-day Matthew Stafford. Yeah, and you mentioned the Dolphins. Although they still have some holes to fill, that defense was already at an elite level this past season, I would say, and they still have a lot of money left. Even if they trade for Deshaun Watson, they still have very very good money to go out there and make some free agent signings, maybe shore up that line, bring in another wide receiver, bring in a star running back. I saw Aaron Jones, his, his name had been floated around talking with the Dolphins, so... They could be scary next year if they trade for Deshaun Watson and for years to come, too, because they're pretty young when you look at their roster and their key players. So yep. they're in great shape. But I, realistically, I think the only way the Texans end up moving Deshaun Watson is if he comes out and says, I'm not playing. I'm not playing any more games for the Texans. And but I, I think, think that would be the best thing for them. He, he could do that because I remember when Carson Palmer didn't want to play for the Bengals anymore. And he sat out. He sat out. He retired. I don't know if Deshaun Watson is in that position because he hasn't, the money from his second contract hasn't kicked in yet. So he only has money from his rookie deal. 
You know, that's huge. That's a huge reason to keep <laughs> playing. You know, so it's really on him, and I don't think you pass up on that type of money. I, I know I wouldn't. So it makes it hard, but we could be potentially looking at history right now. If Deshaun Watson does sit out, this could possibly lead to a, lead to a domino effect where NFL players start having the control that NBA players have yeah, now. It's a great point. I was just going to say we've seen what happened in the NBA. You know, I feel like LeBron kind of shifted the league to a player's league, starting with the decision, and from there it, it became what it is now, a totally player-dominant league. You can do anything you want, essentially, and you get your way if you're a player in the NBA. The way they've wrote the CBA, whatever it may be, in the NFL, we talked about it last year with the Jamal Adams saga. He really didn't have much leverage at all. You know, he had to play. And if he didn't play, he wouldn't have, you know, had time count towards his service time. So he would have been a Jet for two years, for the next five years if he sat out. Just the way they wrote the CBA, the players don't have a lot of control. But Deshaun Watson is one of a handful of guys in the league that could really change that. Because... Yeah. You know, he is that kind of talent. I think if you were redrafting the NFL, like a fantasy draft right now, he would go at least top five, if not top three. The only guy I would definitely take ahead of him is Patrick Mahomes. And then beyond that, he, he's right up there with that echelon of talent. And we haven't seen anybody at that level make a, make a... He hasn't made a request yet, but have problems like this to the point where he might request a trade. At least, you know, I can't think of any recently. They said the last one that was a quarterback was Jay Cutler, and he doesn't have the superstar yeah. of Deshaun Watson. So this would definitely be history. A lot of turmoil going on within the Houston Texans organization, and the Eagles have a lot of turmoil going on within their organization as well. Doug Peterson just got fired, and it is reported to be that Doug Peterson and the Eagles' relationship went south because Doug Peterson got tired of people telling him what to do. Do you think that he deserved to get fired? And maybe deserve is a harsh word, but do you think that it was the right move for the Eagles to fire Doug Peterson? I think it was. I think after everything that happened there, he, he had a couple of good years. He obviously won the Super Bowl, which was an incredible year. And he had those two nine and seven years where they make the playoffs and maybe one or two things go their way and they're right back there. But when you look at what happened this season, I know they had a lot of holes in that roster, but especially what happened with Carson Wentz and the way things went south with him. He's such a talented quarterback, and I know coming off of an injury, there were a lot of factors that went into it, but I don't think he did anything to help that relationship. I personally don't think the Eagles want to move off of Carson Wentz because they've invested so much into him, and so they were kind of left here to choose a side and Doug Peterson was the odd man out. I don't think that the players were very happy with him after what happened in the final game of the season, which I don't necessarily know if it was his fault. I think his quote on the way out kind of signaled that that was a call from up top. I do think it's unfair that Howie Roseman gets to keep his job while Doug Peterson is, is out there looking for a new one. But at the end of the day, I think it might be best for both sides. If Doug Peterson can go out and get an, a, another shot somewhere, I think he can still prove that he's a good head coach. But I don't think that this relationship was good for either party. Howie Roseman has survived three head coaches, I believe. He survived Andy Reid's firing and now Doug Peterson. I forgot the other one. I'm not sure who it was. But I think that it was the right move for them to fire Doug Peterson. 
And I keep hearing all of this stuff. I was watching First Take this morning, which I rarely do. But <laughs> I was actually watching but today. Too. If it is on, then I'm going to watch it because they're highly entertaining. Um, and everybody's talking. Stephen A was talking about specifically that it's not Doug Peterson's fault that Carson Wentz played garbage and all this other stuff. Yeah, it was. Like Carson Wentz has mechanic mechanic problems. He's his footwork is sloppy. It's all over the place. But at the end of the day, Doug Peterson did not make that better. His play calling did not make that better. People tend to forget that football is the ultimate team sport. In order to succeed, especially at quarterback, your receivers have to be in sync. Your offensive line has to be has to be protecting you. Your play caller has to be calling the right plays in the right situations. There are so many things that go into it. So just looking at a blank sheet of stats that show how Carson Wentz performed doesn't paint the full picture. That being said, Carson Wentz did have his worst season to date. No doubt about it. He deserves blame for his performance. But also, Doug Peterson is known as his quarterback guru, and he made the quarterback situation slash room in Philadelphia extremely unhealthy. Between Hurts, Wentz, benching Hurts in Week 17, yes, he won a Super Bowl. Yes, he's been to the playoffs. But at the end of the day, in hindsight, we look at that Super Bowl and we're giving Frank Reich most of the credit. Look what he did with Indianapolis. Andrew Luck's first year in Indy, they start out, I think, 0-5 and make the playoffs. This year, they made the playoffs with Phillip Rivers. Phillip Rivers had a comeback year. Last year, he threw 20 interceptions. I knew Rivers was going to be good this season with the Colts. People laughed at me, but look what he did. They almost beat the Bills, who were favorites, who are a 13-win team. Frank Reich has gotten most of the credit for that Super Bowl. But all in all, the Eagles were kind of forced to pick Carson Wentz over Doug Peterson just because of how the money works out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it was the right move for Doug Peterson to go and for them to fire Doug Peterson. I think it was more of a mutual decision. But my concern is that if Doug Peterson is saying he got tired of people telling him what to do, what does that mean? Does that mean you just hated people telling you what to do? Like, do I take that verbatim, like word for word? Or do I take that as you want full control of a franchise, kind of like what Bill Bill. O'Brien had? You know, that's how I kind of look at it right now. I don't know what's going to happen. They're saying the Jets could possibly get him because Joe Douglas has a relationship with him. What are your thoughts with the Jets potentially hiring Doug Peterson? First of all, I don't want it. I definitely do not want that. I think there are much better candidates available. I don't think it will happen. I know when Adam Gates was fired, obviously it was a no-brainer decision. So it's not like we're going to give Joe Douglas a pat on the back for doing it. But the reports were that him and Joe Douglas had gotten very close. So it was not an easy thing for Joe Douglas to do. He did fire his friend at the end of the day. So I don't think Joe Douglas is in the business you know, giving his friends handout jobs. I don't think that him being friends with Doug Peterson is going to get him a job. And when you look at the search, I think the Jets are are after two guys right now. I think it's going to come down to Robert Sala or Brian Dable. And both of them, you know, they have their own positives. Getting Brian Dable in, obviously, you see what he's done in Buffalo. Such a spectacular job with Josh Allen building that offense. And not only that, their offense then takes a hit in Buffalo. That's a division rival that, you know, you're giving him an extra hurdle to get past next season. Um, and Robert Sala, also, you see what he's done with the 49ers. He, he's going, 
One thing about Robert Sala, when the Jets started the search, they said they wanted a CEO type, a leader of men, somebody that's going to build a program. First of all, I don't see that in Doug Peterson. I think he's the opposite of that. Robert Sala is that guy. He's a fiery, energetic, players love him, a guy that you'd run for, run through a wall for, and he's a good defensive head coach or a good defensive coordinator that would become a good defensive head coach. And he would also bring along some nice offensive coordinator options out there in San Francisco. I know LaFleur's brother is somebody who's been floated around as an option. The 49ers can't block him because COVID rules change that. Now with the assistant coach blocking, they would have to offer him a coordinator position and they won't do that. So I think that those two guys are the guys for the Jets. I don't think Doug Peterson will be the guy because he doesn't fit the MO that they're looking for. And Joe Douglas, it seems at least to be a guy who is focused on winning and doesn't care who it takes to get it done. He's not going to hire his friends in, in place of winning. I like Robert Sala. If Robert Sala becomes a Jets head coach, then our defense is going to change into a 4-3. Uh, right now it's a 3-4. Our defense is going to change to a 4-3. We're probably going to have Quinnen play nose tackle like he did in college and John Franklin Myers play alongside of him. So I think our defense will be revamped, no doubt about it. For some reason, it's just my gut feeling. I just believe that Doug Peterson is going to be the new Jets head coach. It's just my gut feeling. This is what happens with the Jets. This is just, for me being a Jets fan, and the trajectory that we've been on in our history, what can go wrong will go wrong, as Stephen A. Smith says about the Cowboys. That's how I feel about the Jets. The Jets always find a way to jet it up. It's always something. We hired Adam Gase when Mike McCarthy was on the market. Now... So many coaches to pick from, we might end up picking Doug Peterson, who was never expected to get fired in the first place. I know that we had our final interview with Robert Saller. We're going to have it. Yeah, in I don't, person today. Yeah. So who knows how that went. But it's just my gut feeling, especially if Joe Douglas is close with Doug Peterson, because it's just the difference between Gase and Peterson. Peterson has something on his resume. He's a playoff. He's made it to the playoffs. He's won a Super Bowl. There's something to be said for that, regardless of how you may feel about him. And I, it's just my gut feeling that the Jets are going to sign him. I just have I just have a gut feeling about it that it's going to happen that way. I don't even think he's a terrible head coach. You know, I don't think it would be Adam Gase 2.0 because Adam Gase was just a bad head coach. I don't think there's any way around that. I just don't think that Doug Peterson is what the Jets need right now. Like they said perfectly they need a, a leader of men somebody who's going to come in and build a culture and build something sustainable and I don't think that Doug Peterson's the guy to do he literally did the exact opposite of that in the last few weeks in Philadelphia regardless of whether it was from the front office or not you know he he ran out those plans he laid out those plans so I don't want him and I don't think he will be the head coach come opening day so on the topic about the Philadelphia Eagles, they picked Carson Wentz over Doug Peterson. That's the narrative that's going on right now that's being said. Do you think that the Eagles should stick with Carson Wentz or should they move forward with Jalen Hurts as their franchise quarterback? Before they fired Doug Peterson, I was almost 100% sure Carson Wentz had played his last snap as an Eagle. I thought that 
Doug Peterson was set on Jalen Hurts, and that that was how they were going to move into the season next year. But I think that the Doug Peterson firing was them signaling, we're choosing Carson Wentz over you. And I do still believe it will come down to who they hire as a head coach. If they bring someone in who wants to start Jalen Hurts, there's no way you're going to pay Carson Wentz all that money to be a backup. It just won't happen. But I think at least this got Carson Wentz another chance. Maybe this offseason they have a quarterback competition. Maybe he starts next year and you know has a chance to win that job over Jalen Hurts. I don't think it's set in stone that he's the starting quarterback, but I do think that this firing of Doug Peterson is giving him the opportunity as the quarterback number one entering next season. And I think the Eagles did that because they have so much money tied into him. Not only that, but he has been an MVP caliber quarterback. They did spend, he was the number two pick or the number one pick. Second pick. They spent the number two pick on him. So that's a tough thing to move on from. No matter what happens, you don't want to admit that you were wrong on something like that. And I think that this is them giving Carson Wentz another chance, you know, throwing him a, a life vest and saying, prove to us that you were the guy here. The two coaches that are rumored to to go to Philadelphia so far are uh, Lincoln Riley and Brian Dable, I'm pretty sure. That doesn't bode well for Carson Wentz. Yeah, so Lincoln Riley <laughs> is very familiar with Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts was a Heisman finalist with him at Oklahoma, and Brian Dable in 2017 coached Jalen Hurts at Alabama. So if they hire one of those two guys, and I'm pretty sure Jalen Hurts is going to be their guy moving forward, this is my answer to that. The year 2021, this upcoming season, that's that after this season, the next season, Carson Wentz will still be there. It just doesn't make sense for the Eagles to trade or cut him the cap, their cap hit for Carson Wentz is $34 million next year. If they release him, they're going to have a dead cap of $59 million. So basically a, a cap of negative about like a negative 20, negative 25 about. So they're going to be down negative, um, negative $25 million or they're going to be down $25 million if they trade or release him in 2021. In 2022, they can release him and save $6 million because Carson Wentz has a cap hit of $31 million and a dead cap of $24 million. So it makes sense that next year they'll keep him, and in 2022, they will release or trade him. And maybe next year is that prove-it year for Carson Wentz. Was last year just a bad year, or was this who are you going to be moving forward? So... I don't know. It, it it really just does. It does depend on the coach that they hire. But if Carson Wentz comes back next year with his mechanics fixed, his footwork intact, there's no reason why Jalen Hurts should be the quarterback moving forward. Yeah, I, you said it. What were the two biggest issues we really saw from him this season? One, his mechanics, especially his footwork. You know, he was dancing around in the pocket. He had that super wide base, which was not what he was in his great seasons, and number two, his confidence. And both of those things were impacted by Doug Peterson. And with a new head coach coming in, those are two very fixable things, especially for a guy who has been there before. It's not like you have to start from scratch. 
he has had confidence. He's had great mechanics at one point in his career. So you just have to find that from wherever it is inside of him and bring it out. With a good head coach, that's certainly possible. And we know the level that he can play at when he's when he has those two things at his disposal. He's a great quarterback. And so I do think he'll be the opening day starting quarterback for the Eagles next year. I think he will have one more chance to go out and prove that he is their franchise quarterback that they thought he was. But if he doesn't come out of the gates firing, and you mentioned the two guys that they're going after, if those two guys, one of those two guys are in the head coaching position, they will not wait at all to pull the trigger on Jalen Hurts. So it's it's going to be an opportunity, but it's going to be a very small window for him. Carson Wentz is in a prove-it year next season. That's coming up. This past weekend, the NFL proved to me that Super Wild Card Weekend was a great idea. I thought Super Wild Card Weekend was awesome. Outside of the Saints and Bears game, I think that's the only game to me that I felt like was unwatchable. Yeah, That's the only one to me. And even the Nickelodeon broadcast <laughs> made it a little bit watchable. Mitchell Trubisky won the Nickelodeon Valuable Player Hilarious. Award. It's, it's ridiculous to me. It's ridic- Maybe maybe uh, kids know that he's a, a better quarterback than what he's showing. It, maybe they're much more forgiving. I'll just say this. The internet is undefeated. That was a great troll job by whatever fans decided to go and vote him to be the MVP. But the best was after the game, Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, zero combined, combined MVPs. Mitch Trubisky won MVP. And what, what's funny about that is that... Uh, um. I was actually hoping that somebody was going to ask him that question in the post-game press yeah. conference. How did he feel about winning the MVP? The MVP? Nobody asked him. I was kind of disappointed in that. But I thought it was a great weekend because we had a bunch of great storylines happen. Tom Brady get getting Tampa their first playoff win in over a decade. You have Lamar Jackson winning his first playoff game. We have... The Saints versus Buccaneers happening next week because the Saints won theirs. But I think the two best storylines were that the Bills and the Browns both won their first playoff game in over 20 years. The Bills' last playoff win was in 1995, and the Browns' last playoff win was in 1994 when Bill Belichick was their head coach. The Bills beat the Colts 27-24 this past weekend, and the Browns beat the Steelers 48-37 to Because of those two things happening, I thought it made the weekend great because two franchises that have been in the gutter for for a long time, the Bills not as much, but the Browns definitely have been a laughingstock for many, many years. They're finally finding relevance within the NFL, and they're winning, and they're competitive, and both teams are very fun to watch. Yeah, and I know a couple of Bills fans, and I know a Browns fan, and I can, I can tell you this, the Browns fan, even when the lead was 28 in the first quarter, he was not bragging. He was nervous. He said, this is what the Browns do. This is their MO. This game's not over. And it just goes to show you, you know, when, when you are at that level for so long, you just become accustomed to, you know, how you were saying about the Jets with Doug Peterson. You just come, you become accustomed to your team doing the wrong thing. So it was it was great to see both of those franchises have, you know, maybe not their shining moment. I, I'm sure they both have bigger goals in their uh, in their Rear view. view yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're looking towards bigger goals, but 
to get a playoff win is an incredible thing. It's a very difficult thing to do in the NFL. And the Bills and Browns have done great jobs building their programs, getting their franchise quarterback, building a team around him, getting the right head coach. Both of them have done such a great job. They deserve to have this moment. And the Browns especially, getting to beat the Steelers in that upset fashion after the comments that Juju made and you know all, all the talk that the Steelers have been doing this entire season to get that win against their rival, it must have felt incredible. Yeah, Denzel Ward didn't play. Joel Betonio didn't play. Kevin Stefanski didn't coach. Jack Conklin got injured very early in the game. A lot went wrong for the Browns, and for them to f- handle that adversity and overcome it, when just a couple weeks ago we saw them lose to the Jets when they didn't have wide receivers available, is a pretty impressive accomplishment. And I think the Browns right now are rolling. I'm not saying they'll beat Kansas City, but it's going to be a much closer game than people expect. I know right now the spread is, I think, the Kansas City by 10. They have them winning by more than 10, so it's a pretty... They're expecting a blowout. Yeah, for that, that, that that's like the that's like the Bears Saints was eleven and a half. So I don't think it's that big of a gap. I thought that that Bears Saints was a bigger gap than this Chiefs Browns game, especially with Stefanski coming back. But I don't listen to Colin Coward much, and and I think some of his analogies are laughable. But one thing he said, I was listening the other day that I thought was great. He said Stefanski, what he's done with that program and now being out this weekend was like parents going away on a vacation and leaving the kids with the house and trusting them to not ruin the house and coming home and the house is cleaned for. You know, the cops weren't called. There wasn't any crazy parties. They came home and the house was cleaned because he's done such a great job building that program. He's done a great job with his coaching staff, with Baker Mayfield. I, I said it last week on our episode if the Browns win this game, this could be a career-defining moment for Baker Mayfield because he took so much responsibility on his shoulders. He was playing with an offensive lineman that he met for the first time in the locker room before the game. Like, that's unbelievable. So it just goes to show you how much the Browns have grown as a franchise, and they really have put the right people in place to succeed. And now getting back Stefanski and Joel Batonio and and everybody who they, they were missing, like 20-plus staff members due to the COVID list. So getting everybody back after a big win, the Chiefs were sitting home last week. In some ways, that could be a positive, but also you don't get the boost from winning a wild card game. So I think it's going to be interesting this upcoming weekend. And for the Bills, I mean, being able to pack 6,000 fans into the stadium, Bills Mafia, Getting that nail-biting win over the Colts, it's just an incredible moment. And you got to be happy for those franchises. It's finally, after two decades, getting that moment. It must be incredible. The Browns and the Bills and the Ravens winning means that every quarterback that was in the playoffs from the 2018 draft has advanced to the next round. The two quarterbacks that were drafted in the first round that didn't are Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen. Josh Rosen, I think people lost all hope on him. Maybe there's still some for Sam Darnold, but I think it's pretty incredible. Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, and Baker Mayfield all moving on, all playing really well. Browns and Bills fans, you guys should be proud of this moment, of this playoff win. I know it's just a playoff win, but maybe this is the start of something even more special 
for years to come. Yeah, and you got to start somewhere. And, you know, it, it makes you a destination. It, it makes you a place where guys want to be. And, and you got to start somewhere. Like I said, Rome wasn't built in the day. I don't think either of those teams were going from the dumps to Super Bowl contenders right away. But the Bills, I mean, who knows? I don't think the Browns are at that level right now. But the Bills, they could make a run at it. But it, it's been awesome to see how they've turned things around so quickly. These are the topics that we thought were most interesting to talk about. Uh, following the wild card weekend, some breaking news happened. Doug Peterson getting fired. Deshaun Watson, the turmoil he's going through. And just recapping wild card weekend. Now we're going to preview the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. And we're going to start from the first game that's going to be played on Saturday to then the last game that's going to be played on Sunday. The first game, the Rams versus Packers. Is this a bad matchup for Green Bay? Should they be favorites in this game? I'm not too sure. I'm not too sure. I do think the Packers should be favorites, but I do think that this is probably the worst matchup that they could possibly have. I would feel much more confident picking them over the Seahawks, even as confident as I was in the Seahawks last week, especially after seeing what the Rams did to the Seahawks. That defense is suffocating. And I've read that Aaron Donald, although he's not in perfect health, is going to be good to go this weekend. And even getting Aaron Donald at 75%, you're getting far and away the best defensive player in football. Without David Bakhtari, that's going to be a tough matchup for that Packers offensive line. They they just signed somebody from the Colts who was on their practice squad. Jared Valdir. Yeah, and he's going to become the first player to ever play for two teams in one playoff in NFL history. So that'll be interesting to see how he can slide into that line. It's a tough thing to do. And, you know, it won't be an easy adjustment if anybody can do it. It's Aaron Rodgers, but you're looking at the number one scoring offense versus the number one scoring defense. The Packers, when you think about them, Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. He Devontae Adams has been the go-to guy, but on the other side of the ball, you're looking at Jalen Ramsey, who has been arguably the best cornerback in football this season. I have to imagine he's going to be following Devontae Adams like a shadow all day long. And that whole secondary really is great. And you saw what they did to the Seahawks this past weekend. Although they haven't been playing their best, they still have a really potent passing attack, and they shut it down. And, you know, you could keep going down the list. Aaron Donald, of course, although injured, is going to have an impact. Coaching-wise, Matt LaFleur was a part of Sean McVay's staff in Los Angeles, and they were together in Washington. Sean McVay is an evil genius when it comes to coaching. So drawing up a, you know, a scheme against the guy that coached under you is going to be interesting. And also I think the weather conditions are ironically going to play against the Packers this weekend. And that's something a lot of people consider that Lambeau weather an advantage. But when you look at it, it's going to be freezing cold, 20 degrees and the Packers love throwing the football. It's their main bread and butter of their offensive attack. When you look at what the Rams have done, they've done a lot of their damage on the ground. They had the second most rushing yards this past weekend. Cam Akers had a great game. And the Packers don't have the most stout rushing defense. So I think that the team that's going to be running the ball more is at a a higher advantage with the bad temperatures 
it's going to be tough for Jared Goff coming off that thumb injury. We don't know what kind of shape he's going to be in, but I think that their offensive attack is more suited for the poor weather conditions. So I think that'll play an advantage for the Rams. Jared Valdir is going to be the first player to play for two different playoff teams within the same year. And Sally for him is going to be the first player to also to lose both of those games because the Packers are going to lose this game. I'm very confident in the Los Angeles Rams. Very, very confident. The Rams have a great run game. They have a great, not even great is not even the word. They have an elite level defense. And you talked about Aaron Donald, but man, that's not even the only guy. Sebastian Joseph Day was huge against the Seahawks. Michael Brockers, Leonard Floyd, I felt like he was getting pressure almost every other snap. They, The Packers cannot protect Aaron Rodgers with these guys up front, especially with Aaron Donald. He's one of the best defensive players, if not the best that I've ever seen. Another hot take right here. Jalen Ramsey will shut down Devontae Adams. Do you, he will shut him down. Do you think he follows him the whole game? I think he follows him the whole game. He should at least. Yeah. And even if he doesn't, I trust in Darius Williams. I trust in uh, Troy Hill. I trust in Johnson. These, there's a lot of guys that can get it done for the Rams. They have such an elite defense. And when you when you talk about what is the Packers' biggest weakness dating back to last year, it's been trying to stop the run. And they cannot stop the run. To me, this game reminds me of what the what reminds me of what the 49ers did to the Packers last year. I don't think it would be that dominant of a performance because to predict a performance that dominant is out of this world. You couldn't even imagine it. But to me, the Packers still feel like pretenders. I know they're the number one seed, but they don't feel like the Kansas City Chiefs. They feel like they feel like pretenders to me. I know their record says different. But they feel like pretenders. Aaron Donald's dealing with rib a rib injury. Cooper Cup is dealing with the knee. Sean McVay said that they're both are going to be good to play. They're probably going to be good to play. The Packers signed Damon Harrison. But if we're being honest, what is Damon Harrison at this stage in his career? You know, hopefully he, he has some banged up knees. I'm not sure how much of a difference he's going to make, to be honest. And you talked about David Boxiari being out. If you can't protect the edge and you can't protect Aaron Rodgers' blind side, I just don't think against an elite defense like this, you're going to be able to win. If Devontae Adams gets shut out, like I think he probably will, I think they're going to hold in on, hone in on him very well. Who else was gonna, is going to step up? Adam Lazard isn't. Marquez Valdez-Scantling isn't. Who's going to step up? I just feel like the Rams should be. Favorites, favorites by far in this game. I think this was a horrible matchup for the Packers. But honestly, I think the Bucs would have been a horrible matchup for them as well. Whether if it was the Bucs, I think the Bucs would have won. And the Rams, I think the Rams are going to win. I'm not high on the Packers at all. One interesting note on what you said. You were talking about how the Rams secondary has so many great pieces. According to Football Outsiders, DVOA, if you don't know what that is, go look into it. It's a good stat when talking about defenses. They have the best DVOA against number two wide receivers in the league. So that means that beyond Jalen Ramsey, who's going to be covering your number one, they are the best defense in the league covering your number two receiver because that secondary has been so good all around. 
this is just a scary matchup for the Packers. I, I want the Packers to be a Super Bowl team. I want to see Aaron Rodgers succeed, and it's tough to bet against him considering the year he's had. He's been incredible. He was far and away the MVP in my opinion, but this matchup is scary for me. I, I'm leaning towards the Rams. I'm not confidently saying the Rams, but I, I'm if I had to pick right now, I would say Rams. Before we finish off this segment, shout out to uh, Brandon Staley. During the, through my whole monologue, I was thinking about his name, but I kept thinking his last name was Taylor, but I knew it wasn't. So I was going to be like, do I say Brandon Taylor? I was like, no, it's not it. But So Brandon Staley, he's a great defensive mind. They're the number one defense. I trust them to shut down this Packers offense, and I trust them also to run the ball effectively. Also, some news is that Jared Goff might not start. It might be John yeah. Wolford. It might be John Wolford, but I, I feel confident in John Wolford, to be honest. Both, both of them are dealing with injuries. John Wolford coming off that hit from Jamal Adams. He's got a stinger, and obviously Goff with the finger, so who knows who. But honestly, I don't think that Jared Goff is that good. I've been saying that for the longest time, and so they rely on that run game. It's going to come down to the run game offensively. That's going to be what is the difference for the Rams, but what's really going to be the difference is the defense, and it was against the Seahawks. I said if they scored a defensive touchdown, they could win that game. They did. I don't even think they need a defensive touchdown against the Packers. All they need to do is contain Devontae Adams. They have the personnel to do that. And what put this matchup over the top for me, selecting the Rams, is the coaching matchup. I mean, Sean McVay is a genius, and going against somebody who's who, his protege who came from him, you know, it, it's it's going to be easier for McVay to game plan for and much tougher for LaFleur to game plan for. They're going to have to change up everything in their system because they're probably still taking a lot of things from what he did in Los Angeles. The next game that's going to happen Saturday and the final game on Saturday, the primetime game, the Ravens versus the Bills, Lamar Jackson versus Josh Allen is going to be the headline of that game. Who will lead their team to victory? The number five overall pick in Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson? I'm pretty sure he was the last pick in the first round, right? Yeah. He was? Or the 30th yeah, overall, the 32nd yeah. overall pick in the 2018 draft. Who do you think is going to win that game? I think this is similar to what I was just saying about the Packers. I, I want to I want to see the Bills matching up with the Chiefs in the AFC Championship. I think they've done such a great job this season, but this is a very bad matchup for them. When you look at it, the, the Ravens this past season allowed the six least, least passing yards per game between Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey. They're great on the outside. Uh, they allowed the second least in wildcard weekend, and that was to a very high-powered offense in the Titans. They have a great receiving core. They have Ryan Tannehill, who had a great season, so it's not like they were playing any slouch offense. They allowed the, the fifth-least passing touchdowns and second-least points per game this season. And from Football Outsiders, the Ravens were the third-best defense in the league against number one wide receivers. So Stephon Diggs, who's played such a huge role in Josh Allen's development and the development of that Bills offense, he's going to have a very tough time against that Ravens defense. No matter what side he goes to, whether he's in the slot, they do a great job against number one wide receivers. So it's going to be a tough matchup for the guy who has been the catalyst of their great season offensively. And defensively, I was not impressed by the Bills against the Colts. John Taylor had a really nice day. Naeem Hines even came in and ran for 70 yards. 
and they were very susceptible against the pass. Phillip Rivers had a great day, and I don't know that Phillip Rivers has that much left in the tank. I know Lamar Jackson isn't the greatest passing quarterback, but between the rushing attack that the Ravens are going to throw at the Bills and the holes that I think it'll open up for Lamar Jackson in the passing game, I think it's going to be a similar matchup like it was against the Titans. The Bills might get out to a hot start, but I I like the Ravens in this game. And and again, I'll bring up the weather. I just said it for the last game, but on Saturday in Buffalo, there's up to a 40% chance of precipitation. They're calling it a wintry mix, so it's supposed to snow going into Saturday and then maybe a rain, sleet, snow on Saturday morning. It's supposed to stop by game time, but it'll still be on the field. And then the temperature is going to be in the low 30s, and there's going to be wind gusts of up to 15 miles an hour. So for a passing attack like the Bills are, I, I don't think that's the best thing. And the Ravens are predicated on the run. They, they had the least pass attempts in the league this season. So I think that plays majorly to the Ravens' advantage. This game is tough to call. It's 50-50 for me. I still don't know who I'm going to pick, even though I'm probably going to make a pick at the end of this segment. I'll talk about both teams. The Ravens' defense... They lead the NFL in forced fumbles with 25 and fumbles recovered with 15 and fumbles returned for a touchdown in three. And they blitz on 41, 44.1% of their dropbacks. A team that's second in the league in blitz it are the Cardinals. And the Bills manhandled the Cardinals offensively. So they're probably going to watch a lot of tape from that game to see what the Ravens are probably going to be doing. Or They're very familiar with teams blitzing because of that game against the Cardinals. And look, the Bills are are 5 and 0 against top 10 defenses this season. The Bills since week 11 are first in points per game. The Ravens since week 12 are second in points per game. And for me, it's just a battle of yin and yang. The Ravens can run the ball, but they can't pass. The Bills can pass the ball, but their run game is bad outside of Josh Allen taking it and scrambling. If the Bills can hone in on the run and that if the Bills can hone hone in on the run and force the Ravens to pass the ball, they can have the edge. But the same can be said if the Ravens hone in on the pass and force them to run, it can create the same effect. I think this game is going to be a low scoring game. It's going to be a very tight game. And it's just my gut feeling. But I think the Buffalo Bills will win this game. I think they go and they face Patrick Mahomes in the AFC Championship. This is the clash of the yin and yin and yang. Like I said, these two teams are very different, but yet very similar in the way that they're they're both one dimensional. They do one thing, they do it very well, and they're not very good at the other thing on the offensive side of the ball. I trust the Bills defense to stop the run to an extent. They're not very good in the trenches, but their linebacking core is pretty good. Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Matt Milano, who gets really slept on, he's a really good linebacker. I think they can they can do well against the Ravens. The Ravens and them faced last year, week 14, I believe, and it was close, 24 to 17. So who knows? I think this game is really close, and you can go either way. Just because I have to pick a team, I could I'm picking the Bills. But I I, I do see a scenario where the Ravens do win. This is going to be a very close game. Yeah, just like you said, I could see it going either way. And I know everything I said was slanted towards the Ravens, but like you mentioned, they're 5-0 and against top 10 defenses. If anybody was equipped 
to break down this Ravens pass defense, it's the Bills. Josh Allen has been incredible. He was top three in my MVP rankings at the end of the season. They were my second best team in my final power rankings. They played great against a really good Colts team last weekend. So it's nothing, it's no knock on them. I just think that the, I don't think it, these are the two hottest teams in the NFL. There's no question about it. And it, it's two clashing strategies. It's just depending on who's going to step up. I think I trust more in that Ravens defense just because they've been better than the Bills pass, or I'm sorry, rush defense. But it's going to be a great game. I can't wait to watch it. And I wouldn't be mad to see either of these teams win. I think they're both very good teams. And, and it's going to be a great one. Yeah, I, I can see that go- game going either way. That's the primetime game on Saturday. The first game on Sunday is a game that people don't see being very close. That's the Cleveland Browns versus the Kansas City Chiefs. The question for this game is, do you give the Browns a chance to win this game? The spread for Vegas right now is that the Kansas City Chiefs have a 10-point advantage, which means they're predicting them to get blown out. Do you think the Browns have a chance in this game? I think they have a shot. I like their firepower offensively. They have a great running game, a great running attack in Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. One of the things that I've said, I said it a couple times last week, is when you're playing a high-powered offense, one of the best defenses is having an offense that can stay on the field a while. And with that rushing attack, they, they can push the ball right up the gut and win that time of possession battle, which I think will be something important for them this weekend. I think they need to get out to a hot start. I like the fact that they're getting Kevin Stefanski back. will give them a little more stability. They're getting Joel Batonio back. I, I have not heard about um, Thune. Is he, or I'm sorry, not Thune. Um, the offensive lineman that got hurt. Jack Conklin? Yes, Jack Conklin. I'm not sure if he's going to play or not. There, nothing has been set in stone. Yeah, I, I didn't hear anything. But so. they're getting Joel Batonio back, Denzel Ward, and Kevin Johnson. So they're getting the cornerbacks back. Yeah, getting Batonio back will be huge. You know, obviously, anytime you could add a guy like that back to your offensive line, it's big. I think it's very important for them to get out to a hot start. You saw what happened in Pittsburgh. They were handed a touchdown on the first play of the game. And then the next possession... Big Ben made a bad throw, and they were gift-wrapped, essentially another score with great field position. So if they can get out to a hot start and they can get rolling, you know how potent their offense can be. They need to get out to that hot start, though, because if you let Patrick Mahomes and that Chiefs offense get going and pile it on you, you will not recover because that that's the toughest team in the NFL to come from behind on. You know, that offense will not let off the gas pedal. So if you can get them playing from behind, you give yourself a shot. But I think that's their only chance. If they go down early, I don't see them coming back. The Browns are a great Cinderella story. They don't have a chance in this game, even though I think it it, it might be closer than what Vegas is predicting it to be. But at the end of the day, I think that the Browns will not beat the Chiefs. There's no way they beat the Chiefs. The Chiefs haven't won by more than six points since they dominated the Jets, which is why I think the game might be closer than people are people think it's going to be. But the Browns forced five turnovers against the Steelers and converted that into 24 points. The Steelers did not score in any of their first six drives and then went on to score 37 points. 
I know Denzel Ward is a good player, and Kevin Johnson is as well, but they are not making that defense any better than it already is. That defense is bad. If the Pittsburgh Steelers can score in bunches on you like that, it's over. I'm pretty sure Andy Reid is undefeated off of bye weeks, so they're going to game plan for the Browns very heavily. The Chiefs have the 21st-ranked rushing defense, so the Browns, if they can ground and pound them and chew clock, it might be a very closer game than people expect it to be. But the Browns are 22nd in passing defense, and the Chiefs can pass the ball. And don't sleep on the run game with Le'Veon Bell. He's going to be their workhorse guy. He's been in that system for a couple of weeks now. Clyde Edwards-Alaire is out, so Le'Veon Bell is going to be that focal point back. He's an all-pro player. We know who he is. I'm just saying, even though the game might be close, I don't think the Browns have a chance. Their defense is too bad. Even though their offense is good, their defense is is one of the worst in terms of protecting the pass in the NFL. And when you have guys on the offensive end like Kansas City does and Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, McCole Hardman, Le'Veon Bell, Sammy Watkins, Patrick Mahomes, you can't stop them. The Steelers almost came back on the Browns if it wasn't for Mike Tomlin punting it on fourth and two. So for me, I think that the Chiefs will win this game pretty easily. And yeah, I mean, it was a great Cinderella story for the Browns, but I think it all ends here. My only hope for that Browns defense is that when they got up on that big 28 nothing lead, they kind of went into prevent mode and they were allowing more short games. But still, even if they're... And and I think that this game is going to be much closer. There's no way that they get up by that much on the Chiefs to the point where they're playing prevent defense. But they they just don't have a strong pass defense in general. And Patrick Mahomes, you, you better have a strong pass defense because he's going to be throwing it to Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey all day. And I don't think the Browns will have an answer for that. So I, I think it's going to be the Chiefs. I think, like you said, the Browns can make it close. They can make it interesting. I don't think it's going to be a a boring blowout game, but I'm definitely going Chiefs. The primetime game for Sunday is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the New Orleans Saints. Tom Brady versus Drew Brees. Third time's the charm for the Buccaneers. They faced them twice this season. The first matchup, the Buccaneers lost 23-34. In the second matchup, the Buccaneers lost 3-38. to The second matchup is the matchup that a lot of people still, they still have that taste in their mouths about this, this matchup because the Saints blew them out. Antonio Brown just got signed by the Buccaneers. Everybody was excited. He was a no-show against the Saints, and I think it's because he just got into the offense. Against New Orleans this season, Tom Brady has thrown two touchdowns and five interceptions. In the second matchup, they only ran the ball five times. I'm pretty sure it was only five times. And since 2019, since Bruce Arians has been the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they are 0-4 against the New Orleans Saints. But I'm going to say this. That does not matter. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to win this game. Tom Brady is going to go to the NFC Championship and then beat whoever's in the NFC Championship. The Buccaneers are winning the Super Bowl, and this is the first step. They're going to do it. Every non-believer is going to be turned into a believer like every Jehovah Witness would like to happen. (laughs) It's going to happen. 
Fournette played well against the Washington football defense. They have one of the best running defense. Fournette played well. Weeks 1-9, to Brady has averaged 2.43 seconds in the pocket before each throw. From week 10 to now, he's averaged 2.23 seconds in the pocket to throw. This is the first time they have faced the Saints when they are finally clicking. When they first faced them, Antonio Brown was out. Ali Marpet was out. Ali Marpet has not allowed a sack since 2019. And now he is going to play in the game. And A.B. in his last four games has 22 receptions, 315 yards, and five touchdowns. That offense is clicking. Donovan Smith, I know he's been horrible against Trey Hendrickson and Cameron Jordan, but Donovan Smith was very good against Chase Young. I think he's going to hold his own this game. Devin White is going to be back. Steve McClendon is going to be back. And this is a different Tampa team. They are ready. They are disciplined. That bye week did a lot for them, and they will get payback on the New Orleans Saints. Tom Brady will come out on top. What's that old saying? It's very tough to beat a team three times. And obviously you mentioned it. The Saints are 2-0 and on the Bucks this season. But when you look at it, I think these are two great football teams. And I think it's going to be a great matchup either way. It was a very tough one to pick for me. But this past weekend, although the Buccaneers played a closer game with the Washington football team, I was much more impressed with them than I was with the Saints. The Saints had a 7-3 to game with the Bears at halftime. And if it wasn't for an abysmal offensive attack from the Bears... The Saints would have been in trouble. They did not play well by any means. I know the Bears have a good defense, but it should not have been nearly as close as it was. I don't think that Drew Brees is the same guy that he's been for the past couple of years. Obviously, Father Time, is you know he's undefeated, and he's catching up to Drew Brees right now. Coming back from that injury, he's gotten better, and you start to see more Drew Brees every week, but he's still not even the same guy he was in week one. So... I don't think that Saints offensive attack is what it was the last two times they played the Bucs. And on the other side, I don't think the Bucs are the same team they were the last two times they played the Saints. You know, you mentioned all the reasons coming out of that bye week. They've been one of the best teams in the league. I know it hasn't been against the best teams, but it could have been against anybody. All that offense needed was to click. And they were not doing that all season long. We, we've said a bunch of times on this show, the Bucks' offense is one of the toughest in the league because they run a lot of option routes for their receivers. It takes some timing, some great chemistry, and with no OTAs, no training camp, Tom Brady came in with these brand-new receivers and had to figure that out. Now even Antonio Brown, who they picked up midseason, is looking like he's on the same page. So this whole offensive unit is clicking. And although I had some worries about the Bucks passing secondary against the Washington football team. I think more of that was them not trusting in Heineke and Heineke making spectacular plays. I mean, he played great against the Bucks, but I thought that that was him more surprising everybody than anything. I'm going with the Bucks in this one. I just have not been that impressed with the Saints over the past few weeks, and I think the Bucks clicking on all cylinders is a very scary thing for any team. The Bucks' offensive line is incredible. It's one of the best in the league. And if there's anybody to stand up against that Saints pass rush, 
It's going to be them. And you know the Bucks are going to bring, bring, bring pressure. They were one of the most highest blitzing teams in the league. They got some of the most pressure on quarterbacks this past season. And I was not impressed with Drew Brees when he was under pressure this past weekend against the Bears. I thought when they got pressure on him, especially in the first half, he looked pretty uncomfortable back there. That should have been a blowout. And that's why I'm picking the Bucks. It's going to be third time's a charm for the Buccaneers. And just a disclaimer, I've been picking the Buccaneers to make the Super Bowl from the very start. So I'll be damned if I switch my pick now. I'm sticking with Tom Brady. Even if they were on a cold streak, I would have picked the Buccaneers. It doesn't matter. I'm sticking with Tom Brady, the GOAT, the greatest of all time. I'm a Jets fan, and I know Tom Brady has terrorized the Jets and that division for the longest time, but he's my favorite quarterback in the NFL. He's one of my favorite players of all time. I think he gets it done, and I think he gets it done against the Saints. The Saints, Drew Brees is a huge question mark. We never know with them. In the playoffs, they tend to be flat. We're not sure what's going to happen. You know, for for Saints fans' sakes, hopefully Sean Payne and Drew Brees do, do have that Cinderella story and go out into the sunset with the one final Super Bowl. But I don't think this is this is it. Tom Brady, I think third time's a charm. The Buccaneers will win this game. I think it's going to be a great game, though. I'm really looking forward to this weekend. I think we have four really great well-contested football games on the slate. Yep. It's going to be a lot of great games, NFL and the NFL divisional round. And now we're going to get into our NFL Pick'em divisional round predictions. We did wild card last week. I think I might have went 3-1. and one. I'm not sure. Um, or, I, no, there was more than four games, there was, was there? There was six, six games? Six. Okay. I'm not sure what my record was. Somebody commented that Riv almost went perfect. I was three and three, I'm pretty sure. What got, were the games again? The Colts and the Bills. I picked the Bills. I got Rams Seahawks wrong. Yeah, I got that one too. I got Bills Colts right. I got the Washington football team wrong, unfortunately. Oh yeah, yeah. Um I got the Ravens right. I got the Browns wrong. And then I got the Saints right. So I was three and three. Let me check right now. Riv almost went undefeated. What team that he picked that we didn't pick? I don't know. Did he pick the Browns? I don't think he did. He he picked the Bucks, so that would put him at four and two as opposed to my three and three. Okay, so I picked the Bills. I picked the the Seahawks. I picked the Bucks, so that's two and one. I picked the Ravens, so that's three and one. I picked the Saints, that's four and one. And I picked the Browns. I mean, I picked the Steelers, so that's four and two. So I went four and two in my picks. So that means Riv got one of them that, you know, he probably either picked he, he probably pick? either picked the Browns or he picked the Rams over the Seahawks. I think he might have picked the Rams. I could be wrong. Yeah, so NFL Pick'em Divisional Round Predictions. Four games slated to happen this weekend. The first game, the Rams versus Packers, 4.35 p.m. Eastern time. Who wins this game? You know, it's funny not to spoil a pick a couple of games from now, but both of the games that I picked wrong in the NFC last week, I'm getting my revenge. I'm not picking against the Rams this week. I'm going with them. Their defense is just on a different level, on a different planet. Sean McVay is a mastermind coaching against his protege. I think he's going to have all the answers dialed up, playing in some nasty weather. I'm going with the Rams in this one. I'm going with the Rams in this game as well. 
I think they're a really bad matchup for the Green Bay Packers. They run the ball very well. The Packers can't stop the run very well. They have the best defense in the NFL, an elite defensive front in Aaron Donald, Michael Brockers, Leonard Floyd, and Sebastian Joseph Day. It's a bad matchup for the Packers, and I think Jalen Ramsey will have Devontae Adams on a string all night long. I'm picking the Rams in this one. I'm not a believer in the Packers. You know, they have they've had an incredible season, but I'm just not sold on them. I think the Rams have a lot of momentum right now. The next game is the primetime game on Saturday. The Ravens versus the Bills. It's slated to happen at 8.15 p.m. Eastern Time. Who wins this game? I think that Lamar Jackson went from being one of the most overrated players in the league last year to being one of the most overhated players this season. I've been defending him all year. I don't think a lot of the hate that he deserves is warranted, and I'm doubling down after a big win against the Titans. I think he goes 2-0 in the playoffs this year leading into the AFC Championship. I just think that rushing attack is going to be too much for that Bills defense to handle as opposed to the other side. I trust Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey to contain that great passing offense of the Bills more than I trust their rush defense to contain the Ravens' rushing offense. So I'm going with the Ravens. Marlon Humphrey didn't do a really good job of doing that against A.J. Brown. The reason the Ravens won the game, I'm not taking anything away from them. They, they played great against Derrick Henry. Arthur Smith tried to force-feed Derrick Henry the ball. Tannehill had it going, and they stopped going his direction. The passing game was going on the Ravens. The Buffalo Bills will win this game. They are going to face the Chiefs in the AFC Championship. Oops, I gave my prediction for the next game. <laughs> They're going to win that game. Stephon Diggs, he's going to ha- get the best of whoever's guarding him. You have one of the best slots in Cole Beasley. John Brown is there. I think they signed Kenny Stills. Still have Gabriel Davis. You got guys all over that can step in if somebody's tired, they're fatigued. They got receivers all over the place. Like I said, it's a yin and yang matchup. The Ravens run the ball really well. They can't pass to save their life. And the Bills pass the ball really well and can't run the ball except for when Josh Allen scrambles to save their life. But I'm going with the Bills. They're at home. Fans are allowed. That stadium is going to be pumped. And I believe in Josh Allen and what this Bills organization is doing. I think that Greg Roman is a great offensive mind, but I think sometimes his running game and his concepts can get one-dimensional sometimes. I trust the Bills to contain that, and I'm picking the Buffalo Bills to go to the AFC Championship. The next game, which is the first game on Sunday, is the Cleveland Browns versus the Kansas City Chiefs. It's going to happen at 3.05 p.m. Eastern Time, right when I get out of work, a perfect time. Who wins this game? I think that this is the one game this weekend that I am incredibly confident in my pick. I'm I'm pretty sure this one is going to be the Chiefs. I like the Browns. I was very impressed with their win over the Steelers this past weekend. And even getting everybody back, be be that as it may, I think they can make it close but I don't think they have enough to win this football game. The firepower that you need to keep up with the Chiefs, there are not many teams in the NFL that have that personnel, and I don't think the Browns have enough. It could be interesting, but either way, it'll be the Chiefs. The Kansas City Chiefs are going to win, and I'm pretty sure everybody has them as favorites or believes they're going to win, even if they don't think they're favorites. You know, They still think they're going to win. They just have way too much. Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey... Tyreek Hill, Le'Veon Bell, Miko Hardman, Sammy Watkins. 
There's too many guys to cover. I know the Browns are getting Denzel Ward and Joel Batonio back along with Kevin Stefanski. He's going to be coaching. I just don't feel like that's enough. Even with Denzel Ward, they had one of the worst secondaries in the league. The Chiefs on a bye. Andy Reid is undefeated. I don't think they lose to the Browns. I don't think they end that streak. It was a great Cinderella story for Baker Mayfield, Kevin Stefanski, and the Cleveland Browns. Kevin Stefanski should win coach of the year, but I just don't think they have enough to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. The final game of the divisional round, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the New Orleans Saints. This is the primetime game for Sunday, as it should be. Tom Brady versus Drew Brees. This game is going to happen at 6.40 p.m. Eastern time. Who do you pick? Who will win? I think it's going to be a great game. I think it's going to be a shootout. Two of the greatest quarterbacks, not only of our generation, but of all time. But I think in this one, Tom Brady gets the best of Drew Brees. This is another one I could really see going either way, but I've just been more impressed with the Bucks over the past couple of weeks, especially this past weekend. I didn't think the Saints played great against the Bears. I think that Buccaneers defense is going to get pressure on Drew Brees and force him to be uncomfortable all day. And the Bucs just have so many weapons. Any team in the NFL would have a tough time covering them, and I think that will be the problem for the Saints. And That's the reason I got the Bucs. I'm picking the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I said since the beginning of the year that they're going to go to the Super Bowl. I've been saying it. I'm sticking with my pick. I know that the Saints beat them twice already, and the second game was a blowout. But Ali Marpet didn't play that second game, which is that's their best offensive lineman. And also, A.B. just had gone to the team. A.B. has been stepping up. Tom Brady has been targeting him more. Since, I think, the Lions game, where I think that it's been four straight weeks where it's, Antonio Brown has caught a touchdown pass. So, he's going right now. Tampa's going. You have Rob Gronkowski, who he might not flash in the box score, but he's blocking He's blocking really well right now. Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, Scotty Miller, Antonio Brown, Robin Kelsey, Cameron Bray, Leonard Fournette is coming on strong. Ronald Jones, Rojo Jr. might be back. I just think the Bucs have way too much. They want revenge and payback from that demolition and embarrassment that the Saints put them through in prime time. The Saints are known to choke in the playoffs, and because of that, I'm not very confident in them. I think Tampa Bay wins this one. And Tom Brady, first year, Tampa Bay goes to the NFC Championship and we'll see who he faces. So that's going to do it for NFL Pick'em Divisional Round Predictions. You guys have been supporting us in in these Pick'ems all year long. Comment down who you think think is going to win these games and who your matchups for the AFC and NFC championships. We want to know your opinion on the comments down below. And that's going to do it for this episode of the Pick Aside Podcast, episode 58. It was a great episode. We went through the playoff previews. We talked about Deshaun Watson. We talked about uh, Doug Peterson's Doug Peterson getting fired. We recapped the wild card weekend. This is a pretty great episode, and I just want to give another shout-out to everybody that has been downloading our podcast through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts to, it means a lot to us. 
Yeah, thank you guys for listening. You know, we put a lot into this, and it wouldn't be possible without you. We would have no reason to do it without you, but we we really appreciate the support. It's awesome to think that people want to listen to our takes on things. If you guys listen to our, our podcast on Apple Podcasts, don't forget to write a review for our podcast. We only got 11 right now. I know that more than 11 people are listening. So if you guys are listening this long, you know, write a review. You know, give us a little thumbs up, five-star rating. We appreciate that. But, yeah, thank you guys for supporting us. You can find us on Instagram and TikTok at Pickaside Podcast, on Twitter at Pickaside Pod. And if you guys would like to donate to us, you can at Patreon.com slash Pickaside Podcast and subscribe to our YouTube channel at Pickaside Everything is pick aside and yep, pretty much. Thank you guys for listening and we'll see you guys next time.